HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Hi, I'm Moxie Rosenblum. My dad, Harry Rosenblum, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy, and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating pride. We speak to the bakers who created a custom wedding cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins, the couple behind the masterpiece cake shop Supreme Court case. We felt that what happened to Charlie and David was an absolute injustice. Kat Johnson addresses the controversy surrounding Anthony Porosky, Queer Eye's food and wine expert. Many viewers thought these recipes were unsophisticated. And finally, Hannah Forden speaks with nutrition educator Leah Kurtz about the relationship between veganism and queer identity. It's an interesting way in which food can challenge invisible value systems even greater than sexuality does. Listen to Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E this week, and celebrate pride with HRN. Available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite listening apps. To all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. This is the 181st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning chef from New Orleans who has a new hospitality group and a new book, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be optimistic. Always think positively. Let's face it, life is going to happen, and it's not going to be perfect. There may be bumps in the road and curveballs thrown at you. But with the right mindset, you can handle anything and turn less fortunate circumstances into better ones. It's all a matter of perspective. Think of the glass half full rather than empty and believe in the light at the end of the tunnel as everything has a silver lining. That's my tip today. Now, we had had a snow delay uh, previously with my guest, uh, but I'm super excited to have rescheduled with him for the show So my guest today is 
Alan Shaya. He is an award-winning chef and founder of Pomegranate Hospitality, which he founded in 2017, to create a space where meaningful, lasting relationships are created, community engagement prospers, and cultural differences are celebrated. His restaurants include newly opened Saba in New Orleans and Safta, soon to open, at the Source Hotel in Denver. Alan has been nominated for five James Beard Awards, and he has won the Best Chef South while at Dominica in 2015, and Shia won for Best New Restaurant in 2016, and he has a new cookbook memoir out called Shia, An Odyssey of Food, My Journey Back to Israel. So welcome, Shia. Welcome, Shia. Welcome, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, how are you, Sharon? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on, and um, I was I was thinking of you this past weekend because I saw you were in Aspen, and I know I've 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 met you from going to so many food and wine festivals, yeah. but I wasn't there this year, so I, I missed I missed seeing yeah. you. Yeah, I know. I feel like I always see you at um, we always run into each other at those festivals, which is always great. Um, so yeah, I missed seeing you this year, so I'm glad we're. Having a chance to talk on the phone now. Yeah, me too. Me too. So I always like to start my show with my guests and find out about their background and how they got into the culinary and hospitality industry. So, so let's start there. Did when did you know you wanted to to be a chef? Uh, I guess officially, I knew I wanted to be a chef when I was um, 14, 15 years old, and um, well, I had an incline, I had an inclination that that's what I was wanting to do. Uh, I didn't know that I was actually going to pursue that career until um, I was 16 years old when I was when I got my first job in a uh, in a fine dining restaurant. Okay, and so and but that was and what was the, that was the turning moment? <laughs> well, the turning moment specifically was I was working as a as a uh, prep cook at this restaurant called Sonoma in, in Manionk, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of, it's part of Philadelphia. And, um, I remember I was peeling like three cases of red bell peppers after they had been roasted. And I was like taking all of the charred skin off and and it was, I was probably moving very slow and it was taking forever. And I remember, um, being there on the line uh, and there was this wood-burning oven, and, and the chef, whose name was Don, was was making a pizza. And he had put it in the wood-burning oven and, and pulled it out. And it was like goat cheese and arugula. And as as the pizza came out of the oven, he started laying layering like uh, slices of smoked salmon on top. And, you know, that was very classic, like, 90s, you know, Cal-Italian cuisine at that time. And I saw the pizza with its blistered edges and smoked salmon being put on top. And I, and I kind of felt these like butterflies in my stomach and knew at that moment that that was the career that I wanted to take and I wanted to become a chef. Wow. It's, and it's so vivid for you that that was, the, that was, that was when. Yeah. Yeah. It was exactly the moment, you know, up until that point, I, you know, was kind of toying around with the idea. I, you know, I didn't quite know. I never really had any plans for what I was going to do. Um, and I wasn't pursuing like going, signing up for any college or, or, or anything like that. And no one was really pressuring me to do that either. So I was kind of like this, this feral kid, you know, just like roaming the streets and, and going to school whenever I wanted to. Um, but I never really had a plan. And my home economics teacher, Donna Barnett, um, was the one that got me a job in a restaurant, the one that I was just mentioning, Sonoma. Um, and she, she had really noticed that I had a passion for food and for cooking. And she really saved my life and, and got me set on the right track. Uh, and, and then it was that, at that restaurant that kind of everything started coming together for me. Right. So what led you down to New Orleans? Because I know... I know from a longer bio that you were born in Israel and then you were raised in Philadelphia, which I, I know your relationship yeah. with this restaurant being close yeah. to Philly or part of Philly. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, how, I mean, I've, I always associate you with New Orleans, so. Yeah, for sure. I, I moved to New Orleans uh, 15 years ago in 2003 
And I always really had it on my hit list to go down there because when I, when I, before I even knew that I wanted to be a chef, I remember uh, watching Paul Perdome and Emeril Lagasse on television mm-hmm. as a kid and just really find, like finding what they were doing to be so fascinating. Um, I felt like they were otherworldly and like what they were doing came from like a different planet, like the food that they were cooking was not anything that I had ever seen or, or, or had any experience with uh, outside of those shows. And, you know, when, when Paul Perdome would be sitting on his chair in front of a cast iron skillet and browning um, ground beef and livers for dirty rice uh, with garlic and onions and, you know, all these fresh herbs, I remember thinking like, God, that is something that I want to learn how to do and I want to be around. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was so kind of intrigued by, by what they were doing, the, the style of food they were cooking. And so I always had New Orleans on my list, even before I knew it. Yeah, well, I love New Orleans. I'm, I'm, I, it's, a, it's a fabulous city uh, for many reasons, and the food is cer- certainly a part high on my list of that. And so when you, when, what brought you then down there? Was it, did you? So I was working with Harris Corporation. Okay. Um, you know, after culinary school, I had moved to Las Vegas and started working in the casinos out there. Um, I worked for Jean-Louis Pelladin, who was, you know, this very amazing um, French chef that kind of um, came from came out of D.C. He had a restaurant called the Watergate in D.C. and opened uh, a restaurant called the Napa Room at the Rio in Las Vegas. And I was working there a little bit. I was working in an Italian restaurant called Antonio's for a little bit. And uh, when I was there at Antonio's, the the Harris Corporation had uh, approached me to open a version of Antonio's in St. Louis. So I moved to St. Louis, um, did that for a couple years. And then uh, there was a spot open at Harris in New Orleans, and I I jumped on it. And uh, once that position opened up as the chef of the buffet mm-hmm. in New Orleans, I, I jumped on it and I went. So it brought me down there in 2003. Okay. And then you joined with the Besh Group. You were executive chef and partner with with Dominica, Pizza Dominica, and Shia. Um, Dominica. Wh- oh, yeah. Dominica. I'm sorry. Saying it wrong. Yep. Uh, so, and well, well, before that, I, I had lived in Italy for a while and apprenticed out there and then um, really kind of trained in how to cook like an Italian grandmother. And I, and I came back <laughs> to New Orleans after that stint in Italy to open Dominica in 2009. Okay. Yeah, because, well, you're, you have the Italian uh, and Israeli influence, I, I know, on your menus and in your cuisine. So that's that's where the I didn't I've never thought of you as an Italian grandmother until now though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically I've never been an Italian grandmother, but I always tried to cook like one. Uh, and I and I learned from several of them living in in, in Parma and Bergamo and I um, you know, I always kind of had this love of Italian food from a young age as well. But way before I discovered my love for Israeli food, um, you know, my the the restaurants that I had been working at were mostly Italian. So I figured that I would move to Italy and apprentice out there and, and really kind of hone those Italian skills. Right. <clears throat> and you did. I mean, you 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 gained a lot of recognition for your cooking and the some of the awards I had mentioned and um I don't know when to go into the questions I had from my last guest, but maybe I'll do that now before my last break. We'll just jump in because I, I tie every show together. And since we had rescheduled, I have a bunch of questions. And two of them from my past guests are are, are a bit similar. Um, so on episode 170, I had on Lynette Marrero and Ivy Mix, the co-founder of, of Speed Rack. And Lynette's question was, how do you go through a public breakup and turn around and reinvent your and revise yourself? And then last week, I on 180, I had on 
Howie Kahn, the writer and contributing editor at the Wall Street Journal and the host and editor-in-chief of Prince Street Podcast. And his question is, as you were involved in a legal battle with your former boss, how did you physically react to having to fight for your own name? So this, they're talking about uh, working with John Besh, uh, who you've split from, um, and they're heavy questions. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'll... I'll uh... I'll refer back to your your tip of being optimistic and, and keeping the glass half full um, because that's what I feel that um, you know my wife Emily and I have have been doing um, definitely over the last year or so. But with the creation of pomegranate hospitality, um, it wasn't a reinvention uh, at all. It was more of a uh, enlightenment, I would say, in a, a moment to. Um, you know, reflect and say, um, what is the most important thing for us in, in our lives? Like, how do we, how do we make sure that we create happiness not only for ourselves but for the people that we care about and that, that the people that are around us um, and that depend on us? And and that's really what pomegranate hospitality, how it was started by that kind of sense of optimism and that sense of. Um, you know, this sense that we really wanted to be true to ourselves. Uh, so we opened, we started Pomegranate Hospitality and brought on our amazing team of people. Um, James Beard Award winner Zach Engel is on our team as the culinary director. And Kara uh, Peterson is our chef de cuisine at Saba. And Jessica Latif is our general manager at Saba. And Susie Dare is our director of people and culture. And Sean Courtney is our director of operations. So all of these people joined our team before any restaurant was even in the picture to open. And it, these were just the, this was the team that all was bought into an ideal, you know, which is our mission statement, which um, says that we're going to create a safe and comfortable work environment for people. And we're going to, do everything that we can to make sure that people feel um, empowered and, and that there's respect and accountability uh, and there's communication and organization, all these things that are very important. We, we got together and created a set of values for our company um, that we work towards every day and that we've embedded into every piece of how we operate from recruitment to, to the first 90 days of, of employment um, where there's a coffee chat at the at the end of the um, first 30 days, uh, where we sit with our team members and we listen to them and ask them, you know, what what their experience has been like. Um, you know, all of these things are really built off of a structure that we've put together with the help of our team to ensure that we're living up to our values. So that, to me, is everything we've been focusing on and, and my most important role is to protect that. Um, and that's what we've been spending so much time thinking about and doing over the last several months. Yes. And I'm glad my tip tied in with that. And I, I, I thought it did. And, um, I think that's, that's wonderful. So on that note, let's take a little break and then we're going to come back and we're talk more with Juan about his new hospitality group, Pomegranate Hospitality. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. 
Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Chef Alan Shaya of Pomegranate Hospitality. And he also has a new cookbook memoir, Shaya, An Odyssey of Food, My Journey Back to Israel. So let's talk more about your new hospitality group that you started because you have some new restaurants that I need to get to <laughs> soon. Yeah, yes, please. So, so first, in New Orleans, you have opened Saba. Yeah, we opened Saba in the beginning of May. Um, and we really have this amazing team there. Everyone's been really doing such a great job and putting everything that they have into, into like living, living up to everything that we've promised each other that we would do um, from our values for pomegranate. And we've been having a lot of fun making hummus and baking pita bread in a wood-burning oven and taking care of our neighbors and the New Orleans community. So it's been great. It's been a dream. Yeah, so what's what's the menu and, and the concept behind it? Well, it's modern Israeli food. So it's, it's uh, really a blend of cultures that make up what is being cooked and eaten in Israel throughout the country um, today. So, you know, there's Bulgarian influence and Moroccan and Syrian and Greek and Palestinian influence and um, all of these really strong food cultures that have come together into this land and have have cooked for each other. And I, I find that to be um, kind of this endless journey of, of discovery because... There's so many layers there, and it's so it's so deep and so um, important to people that I, I find myself learning more and more about it every day. Um, but essentially, the you know what we do is is cook this great food that the basis of the menu, which really centers around hummus and all these different amazing things that we put on top. Like currently, we're doing hummus with uh, jumbo lump blue crab meat and corn that's been kind of tossed in fresh butter with um, herbs like chives and, and a little bit of lemon. And that is really tasty on hummus, believe it or not, with some pita bread. It's super good. No, it sounds uh, delicious. I want it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've also just recently put on the menu um, stewed okra that, you know, we buy from the markets uh, in New Orleans and stew down with tomatoes and also then get some chicken skins that we make really crispy in the oven with chicken fat. It's called gribbonus, and we uh, toss all these gribbonus on top of the stewed okra with tomatoes and garlic on top of the hummus. So there's this great, like, southern feel to it. But, you know, of course, okra is, like, this really popular and very readily available ingredient in Israel as well. So it wouldn't be something that would be too foreign out there. Right. And then, yeah, and then we have, like, all these other parts of the menu. One is at Saba we do a menu item. We do several menu items that we cook over charcoal in the kitchen. And that's kind of uh, very typical of what you'll see through a lot of casual family-style restaurants in Israel where they... They skewer all of these different meats and seafood and cook them over hot coals and serve them with a variety of salatine, like tabbouleh or, or tahini or labna or harissa, um, baba ganoush and um, lutenitsa, which, which my grandmother taught me how to make. Uh, it's this roasted pepper and eggplant dip. And when you kind of load up the table with all of these foods that have been either cooked in a wood-burning oven or kind of kissed over these hot charcoals and then served with something really simple. And then you put that along alongside fresh baked pita bread. It's really a lot of fun to eat and a lot of opportunities to kind of pass food around. 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> uh, and, and so what about Denver? What brought you out there and you're opening a place soon, Safta or is yeah. it? What, so, yeah. So Saba means grandfather in Hebrew and, and Safta means grandmother. And, um, we're opening Safta in Denver at the source, uh, hotel this, uh, this August. So really what brought us to Denver, my wife Emily and I, is our our quest for for happiness. Like I said earlier, you know we're we're very happy out there. We enjoy our time when we're in Colorado. Um, we've been there several times over the last um, decade or so. We go at least once a year, and it's just kind of been our happy place. Uh, when we're away from New Orleans, we really love being there. So we decided that that was where we wanted to open another business and our team was very excited about that as well. And so, you know, we're, we're doing some great work out there and we're ready to, to get the doors open in August. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I've, I know there's a lot happening with the Denver dining scene is keeps getting stronger. So um, it is, it's an amazing community, really, really great chefs out there. Um, that are very welcoming and everyone has been very nice and the the community as a whole really has this great sense of optimism um i think like <clears throat> if i could if i could paraphrase you know the, what what i feel when i'm in denver and what i see people kind of exude is the sense of optimism uh out there it's still like the wild west in the sense of like you can go out there and put a flag down and make make something happen and I, I really believe that about, about Denver, and, and that's what is, has drawn Emily and I to it. Yeah, well, it's, and it's just so beautiful, that nature surrounding. So let's talk a little about your cookbook memoir that, I mean, when you're, you're talking about all these recipes that you have uh, at your restaurant, I, I was thinking they're they're in the book or there there's versions or similarities of, of things that you've included and you also I know in writing the book it's it's not just recipes it's it's there's a story uh, lo- lots yeah. of stories about your life so. yeah yeah it, it kind of um, first I, I want to mention that I, the, the team that I worked with to put the book together was just second to none they're really the best best people ever uh, Tina Angelini helped me with the writing and um, Francis Rodriguez did all these beautiful illustrations and Remy Robert um, helped with all the recipe testing and Rush Jago was our photographer. And then my wife, Emily did all the styling for the book. Um, so it's it was kind of like a great so, group of people yeah. working on it. And our vision really kind of came, came alive in it. You know, the book was supposed to, to me, I wanted it to tell stories, and from the stories come recipes. And that's kind of the way that I approach food in general, whether I'm cooking it that way at my restaurant or at my house. Like, I like to kind of tie everything that I do back to a, spe- a specific story or a memory. So, there's like 26 short stories that are all in chronological order that really kind of depict moments in my life where um, doing everything from, you know, searching for my identity, trying to learn how to speak English after moving to America, you know, getting in trouble at school, discovering my love for food and, and my, my then opportunity and luck to get into culinary school. Um, and then, you know, what happened from there and how I kind of learned how to manage and how to um, discover my kind of re-entry into cooking Israeli food for a living and all of the steps in between. So there's so many stories there about identity and about this journey and the search for it. And then the successes that came from that and then the failures that came from that. And that's that I think is... A kind of a, st- a story we all have to tell about our lives, and I did it, and then wrote some recipes with it. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun because when you read the stories, 
I, you know, I hope that they inspire you to cook the recipes. That's kind of the beauty of it. I think they do because I was looking through the book and, and it was, I was, I was getting motivated <laughs> to, to yeah. maybe cook a little more than I do because I just dine out a lot. But <laughs> Like one, one good example of that was a, a chapter called Steak for My Saba, uh-huh. which was this chapter about my grandfather coming to visit me after I had moved to Las Vegas uh, and started my career and how proud I was to show him like, you know, that. I had my own apartment and that I had this job and I was an apprentice sous chef and I was a manager and like, I was so proud of myself. And when he came, I wanted to really kind of show all that off. And he came into the restaurant that I was cooking, Antonio's restaurant. And, you know, I sent him out a bunch of food. And then at the end of his meal, uh, he was like, well, where's the check? And I was like, Oh no, there's no check. Like, you know, this was all, I'm a manager here. I can send all this out. and I won't get in trouble for it. <laughs> and I remember him like just laying into me being like, you, you know, this is other people's money. You don't have this kind of authority. Like you shouldn't be doing this. This isn't the way to like, to, to operate. Like, you know, this is money comes from somewhere. It's not just made up. And he really kind of put me back in my place and put me into like taught me this really, really important lesson in life about humility and about um, taking my time uh, with where I was going. And by the end of his visit, I realized that, you know, he was going back to Israel and I was not never going to see him again because uh, he was dying of lung cancer at the time. And I cooked him a steak, you know, a very simple steak in a cast iron skillet and you know, at, by the end of his visit, I kind of realized that I needed to do something like very simple for him. And mm-hmm. I remember him wanting to eat the steak well done, you know, and that kind of bothered me because I knew that it would be like <laughs> not flavorful and, you know, really dry. And I was like, Saba, are you sure I shouldn't make it medium rare? And he's like, no, I like it well done. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll make it well done. And but, you know, that was an important lesson, too, um, that he taught. And. You know, that was my last time seeing him was that was having having that visit with him in Las Vegas. And then the chapter turns into the recipes and there's a very simple steak recipe of a cast iron roasted ribeye. Um, And then there's a very simple chimichurri recipe that goes with it that's laced with za'atar. And, you know, that is like I want people to read those stories and then I want them to to feel like the, the food and the recipes in that chapter have a story and have a meaning to them. Yeah. I I think that's wonderful. I love that it's that you've shared so many stories and you're tying your, your life experiences into the recipes. I think it, I think it does motivate people to, to cook and experience the food beyond just, you know, making a delicious meal. At least it right. does. At least it does to me. Yeah, um, well, that's good. Yeah, and I've done my job. Yeah, you have. Um, good. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take an, another break, but I had one other question from from Ivy Mix when she was on the show, and her and when you mentioned Israel, I was thinking about it. So, uh, what's your favorite restaurant and or bar in Israel right now? Um, she was there in 2016. I haven't been there since 1990, oh, <laughs> so wow. I'm I'm due go. to I'm due to go back. <laughs> Yeah. Well, my answer to that is there's a Bulgarian restaurant called Shishko, S-H-I-S-K-O. And it really is my favorite restaurant in Israel. It reminds me of my grandmother's cooking. It's a lot of the same foods that she cooked, like lutenitsa and Bulgarian kebabs and barekas. And uh, I, you know, I I, uh, just love it. Dearly, I go there every single time I'm in Israel. Where, where in Israel? It's in Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv, okay. It's, yeah, it's in Tel Aviv, and it's called Shishko, which I, in Bulgarian means means uh, fat Bulgarian man. <laughs> okay, I'm writing it down. <laughs> Great. So we're gonna take one more break here, and then we're gonna play my speed round game and talk some industry news. Stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
won't be too long I'll be tapping my feet on Grafton Street And honey, I will sing you a song And it goes La, 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 oh, la, la La, 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 la La, 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 oh, la, la La, 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 Okay, we're back. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Alan Shia. It's time for my speed round game. So Alan, what this is, is I'm going to name a few things, uh, an either or situation, and you just pick your preference. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Uh, cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I finally stumped you. You were you were moving along quickly. I know. <laughs> okay, both. I'll, about, I'll say, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give it up both. Well, well, was there a commentary? Well, your restaurants are typically, or are, well, no, they're not typically, I was going to say small. You have both. No, they're both. They're right. Both. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of small plates and mm-hmm. there's a lot of large plates. Yeah. Yeah, they both have their purpose. Okay. How about communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, there's a lot. There's. Uh, I don't feel like that's a yes or no answer. <laughs> okay, so we're going to skip that one? That's, yeah, that's a longer a show? That. I have a lot of thoughts on that, and I can't answer it. Okay. Okay, fair enough. How about making pita or making pasta? Oh, man, another hard one. (laughs) Um, Making pasta. Okay, well, both everything you make is delicious. You do make some fine pita bread. Well, the reason I say that is I I make pita so that I can zone out. I make pasta when I really want to focus. So, you know, it's it's more of like an internal (laughs) quest there. I love that. That's great. Okay, a few more. Mardi Gras or Jazz Fest? Ooh, another hard one. Uh, Mardi Gras. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Definitely not cheese plate. <laughs> okay. And uh, last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, New Orleans, or Denver? Might be a hard one, oh, too. Oh, man. Well... New Orleans and Denver. I'll, I'm, I'm going to choose both of those. Okay. Your cities. Great. Well, that's the game. So, industry news. Let's talk about this list that came out yesterday. That's, uh, I, there are many articles on it, but on Grub Street, we have, here's the full list of the world's 50 best restaurants for 2018 by Hugh Merwin. So um, this is, we're talking about the world's 50 best, which is, uh, this year they they were in uh, Bilbao uh, for the, in Spain for the this, the awards part. And um, it's always a, a, a list that's, that's looked at uh, by, by foodies and just people um, celebrating some of the best restaurants in, in the world. So Osteria Francescana, was named the number one restaurant, which they had previously been in uh, a couple years ago. But it's it's interesting because the top of the list, it's been a lot of the same restaurants, but they kind of switched spots a little bit. Um, right. So I don't. I mean, as a chef, as a restaurateur, like, what's your what's your take on on this list and other lists? Like, do you pay attention? Do you care? Well, you know, I. I don't pay attention to the world's 50 best restaurants. I, I never really read the lists. I do when I, you know, when I, when I go to one of the restaurants that are on the list and I hear that it's on the list, I'm excited about that. Um, and I think that it's great that I'm sure the people that are on the list um, are really, you know, very talented and very good at what they do. And I, I know many of them. I, I just don't pay attention to like, who's number one or who's number two or who's number three. Um, I, I don't put too much attention on that. Um, I, it doesn't interest me as much as 
knowing that like um the neighborhood's favorite restaurant like that that to me is what i think is most important that you're cooking for your the people that come to your restaurant every day and not so that you can be on the list i think if you end up on a list great but i don't i don't believe in like the race to the to the finish line or the request to be number one or number two or number three on that list yeah that and that that makes a lot of sense i mean you need you know and 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 it's a great philosophy and cooking for the people that are going to come to your restaurant support you on everyday basis if you have a busy restaurant you're doing great Mm -hmm. you should just keep it up and to me like that is that's the most important thing and and i i believe that wholeheartedly that that is what brings the soul to a restaurant is to understand what the people that eat there every day want and and what the people that work there every day want. Like to me, that's the most important thing. When you start thinking about what list you're on, it waters it all down and makes it, makes it kind of shallow. Um, So I guess that's just my take on it. Yeah, no. And I, I guess it's the, the question I, I have with, with lists or accolades is how much impact do they then have on the business and, and bringing customers in? You know, I, I, you've, you know, you've won several beard awards and, you know, I wonder like, does, do you feel, you know, what has the most impact? And I wonder on this list, like, I think there are people that look at the top 50 and then make it a mission to go to these. I mean, those are rare, you know, these are mostly very expensive restaurants around the world, but, um, uh, or is yeah. it more important it, just to, you know, be in the local local paper and be getting just nice reviews and write-ups, you know? Look, I, I guess you know, I'm you, speaking as a publicist. If you make it on the list, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I think if you make it on those lists, it's not like you're choosing to do it yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. people are choosing to get you onto these lists. So from there, it's about what you do with it. And, and whether or not it's important to you, if you end up on the list, then, you you know, you have a responsibility to live up to expectations that people have. But what I, what I don't like is when people change what they do because they've made it onto a list and then they try to kind of overplay it. And then the expectations are way out of whack with what, with what people like what your expectations for a restaurant after winning one of those awards could be would be different than the expectations of the people that have been coming and enjoying the, the food and the service. And I don't like it when those things become unbalanced. So I yeah, think the lists I are, I think the lists are fine. I think it's important that the people that do win the awards, like do what they know their, their team and their customers are going to want from them. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm happy for everyone who's, who's been recognized. For and, sure. And 100%. yeah. And I, I mean, I was in Italy three years ago and I was fortunate to dine at Osteria Francescana and meet Massimo. And he's, he's just, I just adore him. Like he's just, he's, and he's, he's doing a lot of good in the world too. So um, he really is. I, I've never gotten a chance to meet him, but I'm cooking with him this, uh, summer next month at slow foods in denver so i'm very very excited about that oh that's that's awesome yeah Yeah. i think i mean i i think he in my opinion he has this just this this power like this this humanity like this superhero that he just this warmth and i i feel you're gonna you you know you'll probably just um, adore him too. <laughs> yeah, I so, can't wait to meet him. Yeah, he's he's great. So congratulations to everyone, and um, stay with us. We're going to take one more break and come back and do my solo dining experience and have the final question. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. What can I say? My brown hair is turning gray. My white teeth are faded to yellow. My waistline's growing, and my bald spots even showing. I'm no longer a handsome fella. 
And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solar dining experience. So this week, I went to a restaurant called Dez. Here's the rundown. The location, 227 Mulberry Street, Soho, New York City. The concept, contemporary Middle Eastern fast casual. The name Dez means desert. The chef and co-founder, Eden Grishpan of Eden Eats, and her business partner, creative director, Samantha Haber of E-Squared Hospitality. So why did I go? Well, because it sounded great, and I'm a fan of Eden's through social media. I follow her at Eden Eats, and I'm friends with E-Squared's VP of PR and Marketing, Rachel Wormser. So my experience. So it was a beautiful day. I stopped by there for a late lunch. I ordered at the counter. They gave me a little buzzer that I waited to buzz, and once it did, I picked up my food, and I got a table outside and enjoyed my meal all fresco. Eden was walking around, and I was able to chat with her for a little bit, and uh, that was really nice. So what did I get? I had the jeweled rice bowl with saffron rice, baharat, grilled chicken, pistachios, herbs, and mint lemon yogurt. My take? It was delicious. The chicken was cooked perfectly. It was tender. It was full of flavor. Everything really went very well together. It was a nice combination. The pistachios added a nice texture. The yogurt sauce was light, but had really good flavor. So I liked it. The ambiance. They took inspiration from Middle Eastern markets and Moroccan gardens. So it's decorated with desert icons like palms, cacti, and camels. It has some tables and booths and Moroccan rugs, and there is the outside seating. I'd say it's perfect for a solo meal, or it would be great with friends, because she also has a bunch of mezzi and salads and pitas and plates that would be good to share. Interesting tidbit. This is Eden's first restaurant. She is a Canadian-Israeli TV star who you may recognize as the host of cooking channels Eden Eats, and she's also been on Top Chef Canada and some other Canadian programs. Personal fun fact, without giving too much away, there's someone at East Squared who is a tenant of someone in my family, and so our worlds kind of collided that way in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, a, a business-to-personal relationship way just by chance living in New York City. The cost... $12, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. I'd like to try more of the menu. The website is inthedes.com. So uh, I dine out a lot solo, but uh, Alan, I was thinking of you with this one because I thought the you know type of cuisine was, was you know, crossed a bit with what you do. Yeah, yeah. I follow Eden on Instagram, too, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers. Yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's, She's great, and she just she had yeah. a baby, and I I don't know just watching her and and her whole her whole lifestyle, um, she always seems very happy and and in good spirits, which is nice. So yeah, okay. I can't so wait to come try our restaurant. Yeah, it's cool. It's um yeah. I think uh, when you come to town, we'll, we'll we can go back. We can share some mezzi together. I would love that. <laughs> Me too. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Jenny Dirksen. She is nation the National Director of Chef and Culinary Relations at No Kid Hungry. So Alan, what would you like to ask Jenny? Man, I was actually just texting with Jenny earlier today. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Small world. She, she's awesome. Uh, I would ask I would like to ask Jenny how she, what kind of advice she could give to me uh, to do more community service in the community as we enter? Um, you know, I you know we have the Shia Barnett Foundation. We do work at here in New Orleans, and we want to also do stuff in Denver. And so, I would like to kind of pick her brain and ask her uh, what advice would she have to someone that was going into a city that they haven't been to before and wanted to uh, make an impact in the community? Wow. <laughs> That's a great question. And it's um, it just shows your character and who you are for asking that question. <laughs> so um, impressive. And I will find out. As Sweet. You yes. So um, cool. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making this happen. And I am... 
I, I'm just a huge fan of you and everything you do. And I can't wait to try your new restaurants. And I wish you just much continued success. Thank you very much. Hope to see you soon. Me too. What I have to find out what events you're going to be at. <laughs> <laughs> come to Slow Foods in Denver and come see Massimo and I. Okay. Okay. I'm like, I'm very tempted. Right. I'm going to look that at the dates. That doesn't sound like a bad idea, right? Yeah, no, it does not at all. Okay. So thank you so much. It's okay, been great thanks, chatting sir. with you. Bye. My guest today has been Alan Shaya. He's award-winning chef and owner of Pomegranate hospitality that includes Saba in New Orleans and soon to open Softa in Denver. His cookbook memoir is out. It's called Shia, an Odyssey of Food, My Journey Back to Israel. You can find him at palmhospitality.com and eatwithsaba.com are his websites and on social media at Alan Shia at Palm Hospitality. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. It is our summer fun drive here at Heritage Radio Network. It's going from June 19th to, to July 31st. You can join the Heritage Radio Network community and become a member and support us, and we would greatly appreciate it. To donate and become a member, you can go to heritageradionetwork.org. Also, same website, you can find all of my archived shows. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks again to my guest, Alon, and thanks to my show's engineer, Vitor Hirscht. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Put the seeds in the soul.